Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is Politics Done Right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. We're coming to you live from Netroots Nation 2022. We are the progressive folks that are going to get 2022. One, I'm here with Yvette Simpson, the Presidente of, what again? Democracy, Democracy for, for America. America. And Christopher Scott, who is the Chief Political Officer of Democracy for America. Well, look, we're going to have some fun today because, you know, everybody's talking about us not winning uh, 2022. They are all in the doldrums because we're not going to do it. The fact of the matter is, if we have folks like you guys leading the charge... Guess who's going to keep the house in 2022? Us. Absolutely. All right, we're well, doing it. Absolutely. Anyway, Yvette, talk to me. Why, why, is, why do we have this perception that things always have to be the same, that history always has to repeat itself? Because that's all people know, you know, but the reality is, is a lot has changed. You know, when I'm on the panel and folks are saying back in 1992, well, I wasn't even registered to vote in 1992. <laughs> You're talking about Clinton's first campaign. There's a whole new electorate that has not even been considered. So we're engaging those folks who were maybe not registered to vote in 1992, who might be 45, 50 years old. Uh, and we're talking about engaging a new generation of folks who are really upset with the status quo. And they are motivated and they're going to show up. And I actually love that they're not capturing those people because then that's where we get our sneak attack, right? Like they're saying likely voters, but they don't see the folks who we're talking to who are going to show up and overwhelm them. Yvette, that is the best answer I could have <laughs> ever gotten. Now, let, me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Last week I did a program that I said the likely voter model is wrong. Oh! See, we're on the same okay, page. Okay, we're on the same page. Same now, vibration. Christopher, talk to me. I mean, you you got a lot of work to do, my yeah. friend. You know, so tell us a little bit about. I, I should have asked Yvette this, but you are you are. Tell us a little bit about DFA first, how it got started, and then a little bit about what you do. So I think we are the longest standing organization to come out of a failed presidential campaign. But when you look at the power that uh, Governor Dean harvested into creating DFA and now look at us 18 years later, uh, still powering the progressive movement. And I think the greatest part about DFA right now is we're ushering the next era of the new American majority candidates and those likely voters that people don't want to consider as the likely voters. So when you look at a DFA candidate, you're looking at an Ayanna Presley, you're looking at a Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you're looking at a Delia Ramirez this year. 
unfortunately we lost Marie Newman, but we are the ones that are taking the faces all across the spectrum, 50 state strategy, and making sure that we use a people powered approach to make sure that we're riding the ship for democracy right now. And what I love is you're even doing some great work in Texas. We yes. are. We got I mean, two amazing new candidates. I mean, you have down two great candidates yes. in Texas, both of which which I know. And I, I mean, it's great to see the work that's being done. If yeah. it, how are we going to put this through that others can actually see that this isn't just blind impassionment, but this is actually, we're looking at the real numbers. It's right. not, this isn't imaginary. We it, show it, our receipts. I mean, this month alone, DFA has won 14 out of 16 races. Mm-hmm. On the year, we've won 68 out of 94 races in a year where there's so much dark money mm-hmm. that is coming against our candidates, millions and millions of dollars. What we know is that you win what you organize for. And we're continuing to organize folks that folks are not seeing, and we're winning the sneak attack. I mean, Greg Kazar yes. in Texas. Texas, man. A brand yes. new seat, meaning we, have a, we have a plus one in the in house. Texas, That's a yes. new seat. Yes. Jasmine, her amazing campaign to replace what, someone the, who the was an establishment. The, the, yeah, yeah. The dean, yes. And we, that's a progressive pickup, a young right. new black woman yes. representing in Texas. That's how we win. They don't see that coming, and that's how we increase our ranks. You told Chris Christie last week something that was in, I think it was mm-hmm. Chris that you told last week. You looked at him and he said, yeah, if Democrats keep doing what they're doing today, yeah, you're right. We're going to lose, lose in 2022. But if we li- really pick up the mantle and move with it, mm-hmm. how can we lose? That's right. We got to be on offense. Christopher, how can we lose? We can't. We can't lose. That's the thing. Everybody, I think so much of the media wanted to write this election off at the start of the year. And when you're looking at the momentum that is happening, you're looking at what happened in Kansas a few weeks ago with Democrats that. Yes. closing that enthusiasm gap and saying, no, like we still want these protections. We still want these freedoms. Mm-hmm. I think you're starting to see. Uh, base of the Democratic Party start to wake up, realize we have too much at stake in this election, and they're ready, they're motivated, and they're going to get out there and deliver. I'm going to tell you guys something, and I want to hear both of your opinions about this. Everybody has been praising uh, Manchin. Okay, Manchin Mm. came through. Manchin came through with this. And my thing is, like, Manchin just know how to read. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and in other words, he read the tea leaves yeah. and realized that he's, in my opinion, that is, that he's going to be he'll be irrelevant because of what the tea leaves are saying. Your thoughts on he that? He also got a deal, right? So yeah. as part of his negotiation, we've got expansion of uh, offshore drilling. Right. Uh, more digging for oil. I mean, he, he negotiated that to get the win for the companies that are paying his pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. But he knew, right, he couldn't stand still with wildfires and floods and what happened in the U.K. Climate is the issue. And what he did was he said, well, now i got to get on the bandwagon. How can I get a couple bucks for the folks who are powering me up? And let me ask you something, though. Do you think he really is going to get a couple? Because my my thought is this. Yeah, he he fulfilled his mission to the oil companies. But are those oil companies really going to see, let me invest in something when the momentum is going towards green energy? Are they really going to get the results out of that bill? You know, I don't think so, and that's I the challenge. Either, yeah. I mean, that's why I said, you know, we've talked about the IRA and what the impact is going to be. Yes, it's the most yeah. significant investment in climate. Right. At a time where we need twice that much. Right. Like now, you know, now that we've got a, we're in a situation that's dire, you're going to spend some money. We need twice as much. That's like saying, oh, we're at 725. Let's go to 825. Right. That's the most we've ever paid in minimum wage. Right. Not in a year when we need $25 an hour. Right. So, you know, we know that this is a small incremental change. But it's a change. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? When Shell Oil is the first to tweet 
that they like the IRA, we're doing something wrong. When an oil yeah. company is saying we like this deal, mm -hmm. there's something in but it for them. But there's one thing that I'm very happy about. Yes. You didn't come out. Y'all didn't come out and kill it. No, we you wouldn't have done have. that. We you wouldn't could have done have. that. We wouldn't have done We would have tried to make it better. Right. Progressives have been at the table with Biden trying to push this thing right. forward. And honestly, we wouldn't be at this point if it wasn't progressives. Because they were thought they were done with the infrastructure yeah. bill. Look at us. We got the infrastructure bill. We're like, no, you have to keep doing more. Our climate activists, all of our progressive organizations have been pushing for this to get done. So they're making Joe Manchin like he's a, you know, a savior. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's I, not. I'm, I don't think a, any not. of us in the progressive oh, media no. space is treating him I'm like I'm talking about here. everybody else. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Look okay. at Manchin. Wanted, he finally came around. No, he didn't. He it's saw a, he read it's those TVs. activists rowing up to his yacht <laughs> telling him to come off the boat. Absolutely. So <laughs> So anyway, listen, we're almost done here. Tell me why didn't I ask you that you really wanted me to ask you. I want to talk about, again, Democrats are... I do believe that we will end up winning back the House. Mm -hmm. I think it will be a closer margin than what we want. But again, you have to look at the momentum that progressive candidates have had in a lot of open primaries. We talked about Greg Kasar. We talked about uh, sending somebody like uh, Jasmine Crockett. Mm -hmm. I'm going to point out two more. Arizona won with Jevin Hodge. Yeah. Ohio 13 with oh, Amelia Sykes, the former right. minority leader. Mm -hmm. When you look at the pickups, a lot of these pickups and flips that Democrats are going to have this cycle, mm -hmm. they're coming from progressive candidates. So progressives not only are delivering on the agenda to help make the Biden administration look stronger, but we're also delivering on the battlefield to make sure that we protect the House. And we will be the ones to save the Senate when you look at Mandela Barnes mm -hmm. uh, running for the Senate in West Virginia. Seven. And Sherry Beasley yes. running for like, oh. Senate in North yeah. Carolina. So when I talk about reading the tea leaves, right? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself a question. How comes they coalesced around Mandela? Ah, I wonder why. You know, it's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's amazing when you actually want to win and hold something. Mm -hmm. You'll do you'll kinda of bite your tongue and do what you need to mm -hmm. do. That's true. And Absolutely. that was one of the things we reflected on. It was all John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Right. But no Mandela Barnes, who's right. also a lieutenant governor, exactly. who also is doing really, really Which well also against an incumbent. And he could win the entire state, state. nationally, exactly. which is what you have to prove, like our North Carolina. I don't yeah, know too Sherry much about Beasley. her. So, She's yeah. won statewide twice. Yeah. And times. that's what people forget. Yeah. Like you're talking about a candidate for the U.S. Senate that just lost her Supreme Court justice seat by 450 yes. odd selling votes. Yes. When have you ever had a candidate in North Carolina, at least in recent history, right. that qualified come up to run for the U.S. Senate? So she's no stranger to this. She's exactly. not new to this. She's still true to this. We came really close in North yes. Carolina last time with a right. far less superior candidate. And, and, and a state that isn't all that purple. That's right. Right? Right. It is if you look at their likely voters, but when you look at all potential voters. There you go. Now there we've you. got momentum. Close me out of it. Um, you know, it's a big year, and I'm really feeling good about it. If we organize, if we do the things that we need to do, if we focus on the galvanizing issue and stop with this wonky Washington stuff that nobody wants to hear about, if we focus on voters who need to be engaged, we win every time. It's going to be a good year. I, I got the feeling at the top of the year, I was like, this is going to feel like 2018. Yes, Remember uh, 2018? Too. It was like that sneak but attack. But remember, they never thought about it they either. They didn't think, and then they got the squad, and yes. then they woke up. I yes. think it's going to be that year, and we need to keep our eyes on next week. Maxwell Frost in Florida needs all the support I need that to he learn can get. About that. Oh, I, I he is the one. That. First possible Gen Zer on the Democratic side 
period. If he wins this in Florida, really? the home of Governor DeSantis. We might pick up a progressive mm. in Florida. Watch Yvette out. Yvette Simpson, Christopher Scott. Yvette is a president of Democracy for America, and you're going to have to remind me that you are the chief political officer of Democracy for America. Folks, this has been a pleasure of mine because if, having the two of these guys together at the same time is like yeah. manna from, if you're a Christian, <laughs> manna from heaven. Yes. Thank you so kindly, guys. Welcome to Politics Done Right, live from Netroots Nation 2022. Today I'm honored to be with the founder, the publisher, the extraordinaire, Marcos Molitzas. Marcos, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. All nice little rig you got here. I'm well, very you know, impressive. we, we got we to keep things going, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not only that, we have to make sure that when this stuff appears on Daily Coast, everybody see the guy uh, who founded it the right way, right? All right, yeah. Anyway... What have you been up to? Because you don't you don't do the daily stuff at Daily Coast anymore, right? Uh, no. Um, I like to do more. I do more of the strategic work. Right. And honestly, the last couple of years, I had to step back for family reasons. Mm -hmm. I have a I have a a teen daughter who had some mental health struggles right. during the particularly exacerbated by the pandemic. Right. So that took a lot of my energy. And, you know, when you're like worried about somebody's it's hard life uh, and I have, I have full custody of her. Right. So she's my responsibility. Right. Uh, as a single dad. So I, I had to put a lot of energy into it, into that. So it was hard for me to focus on things like work. Uh, so I sort of stepped back. The good news is everything, the school's reopened. She's had a lot of great care. She's doing a lot better. And so I've been re-engaging. Uh, you may see that I've been doing a lot more writing. I uh, Particularly covering the, the war in Ukraine. Right. And, um, and starting to really delve more into the politics of this November election. Mm -hmm. I have uh, my own podcast as well. Tell us about your podcast. So Daily Coast The Brief with uh, Carrie Ellevelt, who is a staff writer at Daily Coast, who mm -hmm. covers elections. So really sort of digging into the... Right. Need of what's uh, happening in November. And I think now people are realizing that abortion and Dobbs and Donald Trump are having an impact that is that is busting the expectation of a typical midterm election, which, which, which normally are a referendum on the incumbent president. Right. Uh, we were talking about that a year ago, back when there was no evidence other than like this has to probably have an impact right. when the Supreme Court does X, when Donald Trump race, starts racing hell. Uh, and so we're feeling a little vindicated right, right. now. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, you know it, it is funny because I was speaking to Yvette Simpson uh, earlier yesterday, and I said, you know, the problem is everybody is going about talking about history as if while history can be probative, history, it doesn't have to be repeated. And they have been our a lot of our intelligentsia have been living the history of the past. Well, history is a past, but that's what they've been living. And a lot of us have been coming out and saying, "No, let's make history. Let's create what needs to occur." Your thoughts on that? Yeah, for me, it's even been less than creating history. To me, it's first of all, history assumes a certain baseline of normalcy. Right. There are examples in our history, mm -hmm. like after 9-11, mm -hmm. where the political situation isn't normal. Right. And thus people react differently. And, and the, the key sort of underlying theme of a midterm, the reason a president's party loses power, right. loses seats in a midterm election, is because that, that election is a referendum on that incumbent president. Right. Uh, our system is designed to reward people who promise things to get elected right 
and then punishes them by making it near impossible to accomplish anything. Right. And if you do, you have to compromise severely. Right. Because you have to get through two chambers and then and then you have a Supreme Court as well. So it's impossible for the incoming president to really meet expectations. Right. It literally has never happened in the history of the world. Right. right. And there's a reason Joe Biden has a 38% approval rating right Which now. Is terrible. Yeah. yeah, he's terrible. You don't have to pretend otherwise. Yeah. It's because he, he can't live up to the expectation. Right. Joe Man- and in this case, it was Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Right. But the system is designed that two people in, you know, you can't even have a basic majority in right. govern. Right. So that's a normal election. Um, in 2002, which was right after 9-11, right. the incumbency, you know, if it was a referendum on George Bush, people liked how he handled the, uh, the, the war the war in 9-11. So that was, this case is really funny because what we're seeing is something I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen. It's a uh-huh. bifurcation of the approval ratings of Democratic candidates and Joe Biden. Exactly. Because suddenly this is no longer a referendum on Joe Biden. Right. This is now a referendum on the Supreme Court. Because the party in power is not Biden. The party in power it's is the, the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. They are the yes. ones that are legislating from the bench now. And so now Republicans will say, no, you know what? You know, obviously Biden's in power. They're, they're, they're fired up. Like, right. we're not going to pretend anything else. They are going to come out in big numbers, just right. like they did in 2020. The difference is our side is like, no, we're not in power. And we're fired up because it's the Supreme Court. Important, That's right. the difference. And everybody sort of has forgotten that, that Joe Biden exists, right? I mean, he's right. almost irrelevant to the, to the equation. And so the second piece is now Donald Trump. Again, how can you have an, a, a referendum on an incumbent president when the ex-president is essentially running for president right exactly. now? Exactly. So we're back to 2020 dynamics. Right. It's a general election dynamic. So right. if you think about Joe Biden, you think, well, there's Donald Trump. Right. But I think in our side particularly, you're not even thinking that. You're thinking... Right. My, my right to an abortion has just been restricted. And Clarence Thomas wasn't even like dog whistling about it. He said, I'm coming for your, your contraception rights. That? I'm coming for your, your same sex marriage. I'm, you know, the only thing is what's interracial marriage because it affected him directly. But the underlying uh, legal premise. Precedence is actually from that. Yeah. It's, they're all the same. It's, yeah. it's the underlying right to privacy. Right. So we don't even have to, you know, there's a lot of, you know, sense of Democrats crying wolf on abortion, right? right. You know, because we kept saying they're going to want to take it away and then it would never go away. Well, now they have. And now they've given us a roadmap to everything else they're coming after. And so um, these are extraordinary conditions, circumstances yeah. right. that have nothing to do with Joe Biden. Right. I mean, the, the last guy... He's he's running, and you know there's and also, he's taking up all the airtime. Yeah, and criming, and you know yeah. there's all the investigations, and him being is you know who he is, uh, and then there's the Supreme Court overruling basic rights, and so what does Joe Biden have to do with any of that? Right, right. And right. so suddenly it's no longer a referendum. Which thank God, because if it was a referendum on Joe Biden, we were we'd be sunk. Then you have the Republicans making the campaign about the economy, about gas prices, and suddenly gas prices are dropping, inflation suddenly uh, abating. It's zero yeah, right now. Yeah. Maybe even a little negative. Yeah. Things, you know, big news on like chicken wings are now back to pre pandemic right. prices, eggs are coming down. All these things that people were obsessing about right. and Republicans thought was their campaign right. are suddenly not that big of an issue to the point where Fox News is 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 hilariously 
schizophrenic. One day they're like, gas, literally last week, I think on day one, it was gas prices are going up and it's Joe Biden's fault. And then the next day, gas it's prices what? are going down and small businesses are suffering and it's Joe Biden's fault. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, right? You like, know? okay, you got nothing. So now they're going after IRS agents. And, oh, and now they're coming with AR-15 yeah. guys, you know? And so it, they have nothing. Right. And they're flailing because when the press talks to them or even voters, they're, they're asking about Donald Trump. Right. And they don't want to answer questions um, or they're asking about uh, abortion. Right. And they don't want to talk about it. They're the dog, the proverbial dog that caught the. the, the but you know the, what, the Marcos, I, I, I am a bit sometimes upset with the mainstream press in that they don't press Republicans hard enough on the on the things that they do. Yeah. You know, of course not. I don't think they, they, yeah. they, they press hard enough. Um, you know, when you talk about the Supreme Court, it's interesting because. Uh, back at Daily Coast, dailycoast.com, I wrote an article talking about how the Supreme Court was going to be the, the, the institution that caused, that, that caused minority rule if left unabated. Uh -huh. And it's exactly what has started to occur. So, you know, we, we've been doing that for some time. Now, I also believe what we have known as the likely voter model is completely off. I'm curious to know your thoughts on, on that. I'm, right now, it's the everybody's voting model. Right. I mean, the 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 people are going to vote, and you know what's amazing is is we're starting to get really good polling out of Senate races, right? right. So we had a poll out of Wisconsin by Marquette. Seven points. Seven points. Now Marquette's it's one of the best pollsters. Right. This is you know there's pollsters that are like right. okay. Marquette is, is one of them, you know, and Seltzer in Iowa. Right. These are the pollsters, when you look at their numbers, they're going to, they're pretty spot they're on. They're close, yeah. They did voter screens. And the more they loosen the screen, in, in other words, the more people they assumed would vote. Right. A tight screen says, like, young voters aren't going to vote and, you know, uh, people of color aren't going to vote. Like, um, you loosen it up. More and more people are going to vote. Be, like a general election right. where people vote for president, then they right. go to the midterm. The more they loosen the screen, the uh, the, the better um, Democrats appear. To Democrats appear. do, and by all indications, they are going to vote. Right. But here's what's crazy: is a tiny screen. Democrats were still. I think it was like a one point difference, right? I think yeah, it was the, seven the, the with the actually, white screen. Yeah, yeah. So it means that even in a universe where it's a tight, mostly Republicans voting because it's a midterm election. Right. Democrats are still winning. Yes. Yeah. And that that says a lot. And and it's we don't even have to look at polling. We can look at actual general right. uh, actual election results. We've had three special elections since Dobbs. Yes. Not including the Kansas. I, that's the one I'm centering not, on. Yeah. Not even including Kansas. <laughs> right. There have been three House special elections. Right. Before Dobbs, Republicans were outperforming their 2020 numbers by three points. Uh -huh. That means there were three points more red. Then in 2020, before, yeah. they would take control with that. They would take control of the House and Senate. Right. In the three elections, small sample size, right. but in the three elections since Dobbs, Democrats are outperforming uh, Biden's numbers by eight points. Imagine that. It's an 11-point Imagine swing. that. That's an 11-point And swing. you're looking, uh, you know, uh, uh, target smart data showing that there is a huge gender gap in new voter registrations, right. in partisan affiliation in those registrations. Mm -hmm. And in people that have never voted. Yeah, but our people. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, Trump's yeah. still been able to get some people right, that never right, voted right. that, you know, yeah, are yeah. Nihil political nihilists. Right. And, you know, mild in their racism or whatever. Yeah. But um, 
we have a harder time getting our people to vote right. than they do. Yeah. Because our base is white, older, yes. male, rural. And, and it's easier for them to vote. So much Come easier. on, in Texas, you can vote yeah. with a gun license but not a student uh, card. Yeah. Come on. Of course. So it, it's – they – the dynamics have shifted dramatically. The shape, like what you were getting at, right? Mm-hmm. The shape of that likely voter screen right. is different. And so um, I am putting a lot of stock, not just in the polling, which is looking better and better, but right. just in those election results, right. what we've seen, right. in who has turned out for the primaries. Right. Uh, people, liberals, Democrats, want to vote, even if there's nothing on the ballot worth voting for. Right. Yeah. And there, there's this whole model that, that uses turnout in the Washington primary to predict general election turnout. Uh-huh. And what does it say? It said that uh, it was about plus two, plus three Democratic Excellent. electorates. You know, I and there's nothing on the ballot in, I, I, in, in just, 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 yeah, just that, you know, I, 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 I got laughed at a few weeks ago and I said it's turning. I, I actually think we're going to hold the house. I don't know what you think. I, I actually I'm think I'm feeling okay on that. I am feeling Not that great. Way. Okay. I know. I'm, I'm still I'm feeling great about the Senate. I am feeling, oh, I think the Senate is plus three. And, and, McC- three, and, three and McConnell Senates. already he gave it away. It, right? yeah. He'd say yesterday he was like, uh, uh, candidate, bad candidates. <laughs> yeah, quality, the quality of the candidates matters. But it's not the quality of the if if, 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 the, if the dynamics were different, Herschel Walker wins. Ron Johnson is a good candidate. He's and won he's twice. Down, yes. Are yes. we going to pretend he's a bad candidate? And a, a black guy wins in Wisconsin? Yeah. In, but then again, he won, he won the general election for lieutenant, lieutenant governor. Yeah. But look, Marcos, what did I not ask you that you would have liked me to ask you? Um, I don't know. I think uh, we covered it. I mean, this is not a typical election. Uh, I will say this. If you remember, go back mm-hmm. 10 years, maybe even five years ago, Republicans like to say this is a center-right nation. Remember that? Right. Center-right oh, nation. I, oh, 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 center-right pra- nation. Oh, center-right nation. Praise in no way. Yeah. When have they said that lately? That's true. It's been a few years. That is true. They're not even pretending anymore. That's why they're doubling down on voter suppression, on using the Supreme Court to invalidate liberal policy, the, you know, the filibuster. They're using every tool possible to entrench minority rule because they've even given up. Yes. They're not even pretending. They were pretending before. Right. They're not even pretending anymore. They know they're the minority party. Marcos Molitza, chairman, founder, Daily Coast. Thank you so kindly for this interview. Uh, pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Representative Ilan Omar, let me first tell you that as an immigrant myself, you are a hell of an honor to have representing us all in Congress. Where are you from? I am from Panama, Central America. Okay. Okay. Now, I find it ironic that uh, today, from those who many a times have been attacking you on, unfortunately, for wrong reasons are the ones that are putting our democracy at risk. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it is it is ironic, right? People who have said that I was un-American um, are, are truly now showing how un-American they are. Uh, they have contempt for our democracy, for our republic, for our constitution. Um, and it just goes to show 
uh, that immigrants really do represent the best of us. Like no one really loves this country um, like people like myself and you and all of the immigrants. We chose to be we here. We chose to be here. And, I, and, I, and really feel extreme gratitude for our adopted home that has given us every opportunity that could be available to us. Now, I think one of the problems we have is we have a problem getting our message out. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I do what I do as independent media is to ensure that your message and the message of many others is not misconstrued. It's not really twisted. Yeah. So my question to you is, um, what do you have to tell? I don't want you to speak to the people, the choir. I want you to speak to my, the, the portion of my audience mm. that is right wing that really are not informed from somebody like me, mm-hmm. but it's informed by all the wrong people. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what, what can I, what can I say to, uh, those folks? Um, you know, it's, it's really important that people understand that, you know, the, the, the American experiment is something that a lot of people have reference for. Um, a lot of people, uh, really look up to it across the world. Um, I grew up and was raised by a father and a grandfather were born in colonized Somalia. Mm-hmm. All they wanted to do was participate in a democracy. Uh, and so we have an incredible opportunity in this country to have one of the greatest constitutions, you know, to ha- to live in, in a country that has open society where you can actually shape, um, you know, the, the outcome of your life uh, in, in your own way. Um, and I And I think I just want to remind people that, you know, when the founding fathers um, developed the Constitution, uh, they they wanted us to continue to create a more perfect union. And every work that we do today, whether it is the expansion of access for people to, uh, to the ballot box or whether it is trying to make sure everyone has health care uh, that they need so they're not going bankrupt because they got sick or whether, you know, it's like passing the legislation I passed to feed our babies' bellies before we feed their brains. All of those things really help create that more perfect union. And we have to be in it together as Americans in this country. Couldn't have been said any better. One last question and I'm done. I know you're very tired from being out there. So um, do we win or do we keep the house? Yes or no? I'm very optimistic about us uh, keeping the House and hopefully growing our majority and doing the same in the Senate. And then we get to do incredible things in the next two years. Representative Ilan Omar, thank you so kindly for having spoken to Politics Done Right. Thank you. Robin Fulford, how you doing today? I am doing pretty well. Now, how is the campaign going? I know that you are getting ready to kick some butt on our guy. Who's our guy again? Uh, Dan Crenshaw. Oh, you actually named him. Yeah, I am I, not afraid of naming him. I'm not afraid of challenging him. Uh, I, I'm actually uh, excited to do that, so why not? Now, tell me, how are we going to win this thing? So, it is the unsexy part that as organizers we know is vital. It is voter contact, uh, talking and speaking on issues that voters care about. And for me as a candidate, it's important that I'm talking to voters uh, and bringing them in and explaining why democratic policy serves everybody. And I believe that. And I'm having, having open dialogue no matter what your ideology is. Now, Robin, the two big points here is women's rights and freedom. Women's rights and freedom. Are you ensuring that all the women around this state or around your district understand that? 
yes, I uh, have been unapologetically pro-choice. Uh, I believe in that wholeheartedly, and not only do I believe in that, but the people in our district do, not just women. Uh, I've had a lot of men reach out, and abortion was the tipping point for them. And as I keep repeating, when I was in Washington, D.C., 10 days before the overturn of Roe v. Wade, I was telling people, let Texas be the test case, because in Texas, when we have the effective ban on abortion with the six-week bill that passed last year, we have seen how that impacts people who are pregnant, not just choosing abortion, but the care of people uh, who are pregnant, and two women in this district, in Texas Congressional District 2, have made national headlines in the past month because their care uh, was impacted by that law. And our legislators are responsible for thinking through the unintended consequences. Uh, this is why government should not be interfering in those decisions. Um, so there's that. Then there's, of course, democracy on the line. Uh, I take that very seriously. I've seen voter suppression before SB1 passed last year. And, uh, and this is an important fight and is one that I'm so fortunate to have so many amazing organizers supporting me in. Robin Fulford. Good, keep up the good work. We are here with somebody very, very special. Very special. How are you doing, my friend? First of all, tell me, before, let me get this on you real quickly. We're actually ready for you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm Chris Smalls, former Amazon employee, uh, now the current president of the Amazon Labor Union. Now, um, you were the one that started the revolt against Amazon in New York, is that correct? Yes, back in 2020. Now tell me, why did you, what, what gave you the impetus to do that? Uh, they fired me after I let a walk out over COVID-19. Um, they didn't protect us, they didn't have any PPE, any facial masks, uh, no cleaning supplies. And I had to take further action because you know, workers uh, were getting sick and testing positive in the building. No, Amazon came after you. After you started doing that, what did they do? Uh, they fired me after the protest. And um, then Jeff Bezos himself, along with his general counsel, smeared me trying to call me uh, not smart or articulate and to make me the face of the whole unionizing efforts against him. Now, in the process of doing all of that, did you have any intentions of making it as big and doing this as big as, as it now is or not? No, of course not. You know, I just was a worker that was trying to do the right thing and um, speak up and fight back for workers' rights. Okay, now where are we going now? Now that now that you've gotten the now that you've gotten the attention of everybody else, the, the whole country, where are you going to take this? And I know you're tired. You've been you've been going like hell this whole time. I understand. So I'm not going to take a lot of your time. Good. So tell me what where you go from here. Um, you know, we're just going to continue building and, and organizing our unions across the country. Um, we just filed a petition for our building in Albany. Uh huh. Um, and and workers are reaching out to us um, every day. We're going to help them. We're going to help support them. And just like Starbucks, we're hoping with the ALU, the Amazon Labor Union, that we spread across the nation. Yeah, well, great. I interviewed quite a few of them from Starbucks today, so you guys are doing good work. Thank hey, you, you so keep much. doing you keep doing your work out there and get out of here. I know you're tired. I know a whole lot of folks really wanted to talk to you, and I had to come and run and get you because I wasn't going to let you get away, brother. You take care and be cool. Thank you. Yella Smith-Upton. 
pleasure to be here. You are with? Artists Design the Future. Are you going to be designing the future or something or what? We are. We well, do. Well, tell me a little bit about what, what, your, what your organization is all about. So we are a forming mm -hmm. worker cooperative. Uh -huh. What the, does that mean? In the state of Illinois. Uh -huh. So in the state of Illinois, there was a law passed that a worker cooperative is mm -hmm. actually an entity, just like an S-Corp, uh, LLC, or other entities. Mm -hmm. And the requirement is that you have three co-founders. And its its intention is that it's a Democratic-run mm -hmm. organization or entity. You right. can choose your IRS designation. Right. Um, that is to run totally Democratic, where it's just it's one vote for each founder and each, and then each the subsequent members as well, so that there's total self-determination in how we're run, how how we function. Period. Now, what about things like employees and all that sort of stuff? Are they are they considered? Uh, what's that word that we always? Um, there's a word that use that they have stationed in in the organization as well. So that's what's beautiful about a worker cooperative. Yes, yeah. you can have employees, but technically. It's a because the structure is so different. Everyone is a member owner of I, that cooperative. I am so glad because w when you when you spoke about the founders, I kind of thought about I, I was thinking hierarchical, right? And no. you no. and and I didn't, you know. I, I guess everybody that's a part of it will be well. You have the founders and the people who come in as members as well. Correct. There are uh, there is the opportunity where you can have a couple levels of membership where uh -huh. you could have kind of uh, less active members and ones that are more actively engaged, it gives us the opportunity to really self-determine right. how we choose to create the structure of the of, organization. Of the, yeah. But the bottom line is that it's democratic in the sense that all the members right. each get a vote for decision-making for the organization and how it functions and how it's run, unlike yeah. a traditional corporate structure. Right. Yeah, that's so hierarchical. You know, and the thing about it is we talk about corporate structures being hierarchical. I actually believe that every form of business should be run in that sort of form. And I mean, right now we, we can call folks employees, but there's, they're nothing more than what I call antiseptic slaves because they tell you what to do. They tell you what, uh, everything, what you're telling me is this is done democratically. Corporations are not a democracy. Corporation has, <laughs> Far from it. A, they're master relationship type, um, organizations, which is one of the things that I work on as sort of promoting, um, promoting that people should be self-determined. So Absolutely. I love that, uh, what you're doing now, how, what, what's the end goal of the organization? What are you doing? Are you just trying to teach people how to do these things or what's your end goal? So there's three main focus and, and our, well, our goal is to create sustainable resources right. for creatives in particular, which then always have a ripple effect out into the communities right. that we live in. Right. Um, so our main three goals, one is training, mm -hmm. and this is all artist-led, which mm -hmm. is the power of it as well. Right. Community engagement, that's mm -hmm. artist-led, mm -hmm. and using the arts and creative experiences. And the third, which is our big, big, hairy, audacious goal, mm -hmm. is to develop mixed-use art spaces. And what, what does, does that, that mean? mean? Yeah. That means a mixed-use, meaning there's commercial and residential. So our, uh, our goal for the first building is to have 30 units mm -hmm. commercial on the first floor, 24 work live units up above, but all owned also as a real estate cooperative. Right. So all the creatives that are in these spaces 
are members of that real estate right. cooperative, which is in and of itself a small business. Right. And each individual unit is is owned, quote unquote, by a member right. of that cooperative. So the other self-determining awesome part of that is we know a lot of creatives don't have traditional ways right. they make money. Right. So since there's not this need to fit in the box of traditional lending right. where everyone has to go get a right. mortgage, there's one mortgage for the whole building and all the members collectively own it and pay a portion, but they still have all the benefits of ownership like, yeah. and the write-offs and all the, the, those tax benefits. But um, the other ethic that's a value that's really key for us as well is inclusion and accessibility so a minimum of one third of all the units mm -hmm. will be for members that have disabilities nice yeah as well and 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 then in the end what you're what you have is a community arts and culture hub mm -hmm. that has this ripple effect out into the community right but that also is able to help 30 small businesses with by creators right. to grow and no. and be sustainable for the long term. I, I love that. And the, the last thing I would just say is what it does also is it gives them that self-determination to not be affected by gentrification because ownership is you key. own it. Yes. Key. Mm -hmm. You make the decisions. Right. You're not beholden to, oh, there's um, rises in the rents or there's, you know, you're at the mercy of a, a government subsidy that's going to run off right. and then you can't afford to live there anymore. Right. I, I love that. Now, let me ask you something. Is Are these units specific to artists or are we saying that um, this is just a model right now for artists, but later on you could actually have other folks in, in, in the cooperative? Let's say I'm a software developer and wanted to do that. I could, I could say that a software developer is an artist, but I mean, uh, is this restricted to just... That's a fabulous question. And yeah. We really extend the idea of artists to include creatives as well, which right. is a definition that moves outside of the elitist concept of, of the arts. Like you or, have yeah. to be able to do that. I mean, it could be a DJ, right. it could be a social worker, and right. people who are creating in the world. That's what I'm asking. And then the, the idea also is the 24 work-live units up right. above, which are be intergenerational. Right. We want to have elders, families, youth. Right. So there there is a true sense of community, but the commercial units don't have to exclusively be the arts. Right. They could be... We're working along with the uh, local chamber of commerce to see what kinds of monies are being taken out of the community right. that for needs that aren't being met right. for the people in the community we live in. Right. So that we'll be open to businesses right. on the commercial level to meet the needs of what the community says they need. Now, here's the most difficult question within uh, on your framework. Mm -hmm. How do you handle conflict resolutions? You know, that's a great question. And honestly, I wish I had the other two current co-founders right. here. And, and I just wanted to qualify that comment earlier about co-founders. It's just because it's the three of us who that started it. it. No, no, I got but it. it. It'll, yeah. No, okay. no, I, I understood. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. So our one co-founder, Laura mm -hmm. Weathered, that is like part of her genius and strength in right. facilitating right. that. And she's continuing to train herself but all three of us bring a strong leadership experience and continuing education to have um, skills to help facilitate that. But the great part about cooperative is 
it's not up to us. Right. I mean, it is initially because we're the right, three. Right. But as it grows and then as the building is, that's for the cooperative to self-determine. Right. How are we going to handle conflict resolution and right. planning for that in advance? That's what I meant. Before the yes. conflicts present right. themselves because they're going to come. Absolutely. That's just the nature. I mean, you got 30 people or entities in a community. Right. You're going to have conflicts. Um, but the bottom line is that because it's such a democratic mm-hmm. um, setup, because it is literally one vote per member, right. you get to decide right. how, what is that structure? What are the qualifications right. that we are going to decide are what we require for someone to qualify to live here? To live here and right. I don't have to talk to a bank right. or an underwriter right. to make that decision. We're right. totally self-determining. And you determine what you want. Yes, yeah. exactly. I love that. Well, as usual, you will... You heard what I asked the other person, so you should be prepared. Okay, what question should I have asked you that I didn't? You should be prepared now. How much is the building going to cost? Oh, wow. How much is the building going to cost? At our current projections on yeah. the pro forma, at $250 per square foot, Right. it's round about $12.5 million. And? And... What that means is we need help Mm -hmm. to connect with a variety of catalytic capital, um, philanthropic capital, impact investors, donations, Mm -hmm. and other sorts of monies that can help reduce that final ownership cost Mm -hmm. so that the the eventual member owners, they could be at a 60% area median income. They could be at a 40% area median income because the final mortgage is not $12.5 million. We're projecting it around $3.2 million. And and to get all that other $9 million through these other resources and other now, now how do you, how is that intent? Let's say if you wanted to replicate that over and over and over again, what's the, what's the uh, path? See, you said that was the final question, but I know well, this just well, triggers you, no, more you questions. Opened, right? You opened the door. I opened that door. Yeah. That is a fabulous question mm-hmm. because part of our intention also is to document this process mm-hmm. so that it's available for other communities. We're from the Chicago area right. on the south side, but for other communities in Chicago, nationally, I mean, regionally, nationally, right. even internationally, because communities like this get created, but nobody leaves the breadcrumbs. Nobody says, right. okay, this is how we started. These are some key things you need to build the momentum to create this. And it's just, it's like you're always reinventing the wheel. So we want to have a toolkit at the end that is available to people. I mean, it won't be like color in the dots, no, but, but I mean, a step-by-step, like a, framework. a framework, a framework, so you yeah. can start strong and know and not have to just figure it out all out through trial and error. Yeah. Miss Smith Upton, and you notice I didn't rush to the first name, and you know why. Thank you so kindly <laughs> for you. having it's been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. Welcome to Politics Done Right, again, direct from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Netroot Nations, twenty. 22. Today I'm honored to have John Paul Mejia of Sunri- the Sunrise Movement. John Paul, welcome to Politics Sunrise. How are you doing Thank today? Thank you so much. I'm doing really great. Great well, talking to folks. It's great to have you here. Please tell me a little bit about the uh, Sunrise Movement. What is it? So the Sunrise Movement is a youth movement that is building a massive number of young people who want to solve the climate crisis and do it in a way that creates millions of jobs in the process. Sunrise is best known for 
putting forward a solution on climate known as the Green New Deal, uh -huh. which essentially solves climate change and creates millions of jobs in the process. And it's centered in a vision of economic and racial justice. Now, I mean, a lot of people complain about the Green New Deal as it's going to cost jobs or it's pie in the sky or, you know, we are never going to get off of fossil fuels because the, the performance of green energy is not that of fossil fuels. What do you tell those people? They're talking about climate for the first time ever, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, actually, one of that's the, a very yeah, good point. One of the incredible things is that, you know, for a very long time, um, you know, the fossil fuel industry by, you know, buying media, by buying pundits, by buying politicians, sort of cornered the debate on climate change right. in a place of whether it was real or not for right. decades. And, you know, you had most of, you know, democratic politicians and an activist base talking about the climate crisis in such a way. Right. When Sunrise and other movements for justice and democracy came out with a vision of climate that was forward facing, right? That right. said, sure, we want to stop the climate crisis, but you know what? We want to do it in a way that also empowers people and creates right. millions of jobs. Right. And you know what? We do want it to be a massive sweeping thing because people haven't had um, loads of opportunities right. in this country for a very long time. That's when we sort of shifted the debate on the climate crisis and our opponents then started talking about it in our frame, right? And so none of those things are true. No, but, no, but it's important <laughs> but, what you said. You, yeah. it, it is something that I think the, the youth have understood that a lot of the older folks don't. If you are if you are playing the game on their platform, they have the upper edge and you're always on the defensive. If you force them to play it on your fields, it's like, uh, so what do you do when the planet burns? So what do you do when the floods come? So what do you do? So exactly. continue, please. Thank you. Exactly. No, I mean, it's exactly that point. Um, you know, it's about for, for a very long time, uh, the sort of conversation on climate change was hinged on whether it was real or not. But also the base of people who were talking about it were it was pretty limited. It was right. a pretty limited base. Right. It was mostly you know, mostly white folks. They were mostly upper middle class, right. full-time advocates, environmentalists that spoke about climate change in a way that was based on polar bears or parts per million, which is something that doesn't directly... I mean, there's a direct word for that in an in elitist fashion. Right, exactly. And so it's it's far off, right? It doesn't connect to people. Right. How am I going to give a shit about a polar bear exactly. or something called PPM when I'm facing, you know, a job that can't pay enough or right. when I'm worried about whether my like kid of right. color is going to come back home safe or right. not. And so what would it mean for you actually to engage in a vision of climate policy that not only tackles the crisis at the speed, scope and scale, right? And in the, in the sort of large right. amount that you actually need to tackle it at, but also in one that brings people together because right. you fundamentally know that in order to change the U.S. economy, like you need it to change, you need mass movements. Right. The, the times when those things has happened, right. harken back to the New Deal, right. it wasn't brought forward by a couple benevolent senators or a cool president. Right. It was massive amounts of people on the streets and politicians who would replace those who didn't agree with those movements right. that made the change happen. And so the idea behind the Green New Deal is to offer a solution that's rooted in everyone's life, right? You have a task ahead of you because there's a lot of money from the plutocrats that are going to be in there uh, actually trying to confuse the same people that you are trying to talk to. And they may have more bang for the buck, but you may have more social interaction that, uh, that generally flesh-to-flesh -flesh contact is a lot more powerful than, than seeing an ad every day. So what, what's your plan of action going forward to compete 
with what's about to hit you? Yeah, I mean, or what is hitting you? Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely the case, right? The fossil fuel industry and loads of folks, loads of folks who are really friendly to it, have massive amounts of organized money, right? Um, and that is that is a very large obstacle. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the only thing that can be organized money is organized people. Exactly. And the idea of having a social movement is exactly that. Exactly. Um, by getting across to people and actually doing the hard work of right. you know talking to voters, talking to your neighbors, talking to your friends, talking to your family, and getting them in on this vision, it's much harder for someone who's paid off in the media or a politician to suddenly you know, penetrate that person because they're someone who cares about them and someone who they care for is reaching them first. Right. And so that's the beauty of a social movement. And that's been the history of Sunrise. Sunrise. Again, you said it's a youth movement. It's a youth movement. It's mostly comprised of youth. Your president, everything I imagine, uh, are young people. Mm -hmm. Now, um, how big are you? Where are you based? Sunrise is, has a chapter structure, which Uh means that there are um, independently run chapters throughout the entire United States. Right. So there's more than 300 chapters okay. across the United States. Um, there's a couple here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, the national organization supports these chapters and runs federal campaigns. Right. Um, and we, our history really started in 2018. So in 2018, or prior to 2018, actually, um, there was a big realization that on the climate issue, we were losing. Right. Obama came into office and had, you know, at a given year, majorities in Congress, right. right? And he expressed with these majorities intent to get a climate bill across the finish line. That's when this bill known as Waxman-Markey, the right. first climate bill that could have made it across the right. finish line, became a thing. It passed the House, but didn't even come up for a vote in the Senate. Right. And there was a lot of question at that moment as to why would, why did that happen, right? You, you know have why. Democratic majorities. Yeah. And the research was really interesting, right? There was, an, there was broad popular support for the bill, but what actually was able to tank it was obviously organized money, exactly. but also a small and vocal movement of Tea Party conservatives right. who were able to limit the conversation on climate. And so once that bill was was lost, some people got really serious and said, you know what, we're going to need a social movement to actually get this right. across the finish line and not just one that focuses on, you know, turning people out and having and changing public opinion, but one that also directly engages with power. And so we spent a while in 2018 coming up with a plan, right? Sure. Elect Democrats who care about climate change, but don't stop there. Elect better Democrats. That's when folks in our movement and folks adjacent to our movement recruited a young congresswoman or soon to be congresswoman, just bartender at the time in the Bronx, AOC, recruited her to the, yes. And other folks who would be able to run on this right. on this idea. And then around came the 2018 midterms. Democrats recaptured their majorities. And, you know, there was this big headline that came out in the Hill that said it, it read something like Democrats dampen hopes for cl- action on climate change. I, I remember that distinctly. Exactly. And at that moment, we said, all right, here's what we need to do. We're going to need to make an intervention in the Democratic Party. And we're going to do it as soon as they win the midterms. So the first thing we did was have a massive sit-in 
with uh, loads Nancy of young people. with Nancy yeah, Pelosi's yeah, office, yeah. joined by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right. which is the first time anyone started hearing of this thing called a Green New Deal. Right. Two years later, every presidential candidate on the debate stage in 2019 or 2020 was asked about their stance on the right. Green New Deal, and the conversation on climate was entirely shifted. Right. Fast forward to 2022. Now... For the first time, nearly a decade after Waxman Markey failed, you have a moderate president. Because, yeah. you know, remember, Joe Biden is still the president still of the United the States. Got his agenda essentially butchered. But the one thing that remained was, was climate spending. Exactly. And it's not great. It's not it's magnificent. Not the best, but, but it's the billion exactly. Dollars, not a, it's, it's quite a bit. And it's it's the first ever piece of climate legislation right. that makes it past the Senate and to the president's desk in right. U.S. history. And that's the movement that you were able to build in four years with a lot of learning from folks who came before. But nonetheless, a strategy that both harnesses a social movement, targets a party and is focused on winning power. Well, look, uh, Jean-Paul Mejia, that was excellent. You guys keep up your great work because I tell you what, we need young people engaged because after all, this is the planet we're leaving for you. Thank you so much. Right, it was great so being kindly. here. Thank you. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage.